Okay, time for the Word of God. Let's go to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 16. Why do I always begin with a verse? Well, I want to set the tone. And the tone is, this is not about me. This is about Jesus. This is about the Bible. This is about the Word of God. And it's a small way to set the tone, a small way to remind us that this is about the Word of God, not, not the preacher. But every, bit, every little bit helps. Praise the Lord. So we start with John fourteen sixteen. It says, these are the words of Jesus, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Jesus doesn't ask his father like some sons would ask their father for trinkets, toys, money, inheritance, nothing like that. In fact, he asks his father for something that is as important as it gets. He asks the Father for the Holy Spirit for us, to come to us, to be with us. What an intercessor our Lord Jesus Christ is. He had to win this right to be able to go to the Father. If you read Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts, you realize that Jesus went to the Father, was given the Holy Spirit in the sense of given authority with the Holy Spirit to send the Holy Spirit to us. Peter describes it this way. Jesus was, the Father gave the Holy Spirit to Jesus who gave it to us. Praise the Lord. He had to win this right by finishing his mission. Jesus, in this verse, is just hours from his death. Yet he feels very protective of his disciples. He has high expectations for them and doesn't want his work to fizzle out or die with his death and his resurrection and ascension to heaven. He wants his work to continue in strength and power. He has high expectations for them. And so he goes to the Father and intercedes for them for help, the Holy Spirit. In this verse, the word advocate, I'm in the New International Version, the word advocate is uh, parakletos. I'm pronouncing it the best way I know in Greek. Uh, I looked up the pronunciation on the internet and I found five different pronunciations for it. Considerably different. A lot of these pronunciations are being uh, um, pumped out by artificial intelligence, and they're not very good with human language yet. Real Greek people, and I found this pronunciation on it to it, I think would pronounce it, parakletas. Para comes from para, which means beside or near, and klein, which means to call, to call beside. It's, it refers to one who is called beside. This Greek word is only used five times in the whole New Testament. It's a very special word. The Holy Spirit is the one who has been called by the Father and Jesus to our side. 
He, is, he comes to our side. He is called there by the Father and by Jesus. It is translated many different ways in English Bibles, and that's a bit of a clue to us that this word is very special and has a special meaning that cannot really be captured by any one English word. It is translated advocate, helper, comforter, and counselor. Those are the main four ways that it is uh, translated. Uh, I'm not sure what to say for this Greek word. Do I try to sound highfalutin and pronounce the Greek word correctly, parakletos, over and again during the sermon this morning? Do I call him the advocate when the word advocate really falls short of who he is? So does comforter. So does counselor. They all fall short. I'll explain it a little bit. The many Hebrew rabbis actually refused to translate the word into an, a Hebrew were, a Hebrew equivalent because they couldn't. And so you'd read along in the writing of the Hebrew rabbis, and they'd be writing along in Hebrew. And when they wanted to refer to uh, the Holy Spirit in this role, they would write the Greek word. They're writing, get that, they're writing along in Hebrew and instead of writing a Hebrew word, they would write a Greek word in that slot, parakletos. You know the amplified translation, the one that expands uh, on every verse and it, it winds up being like twice as long as any other English translation. Here's what the amplified version has for parakletos. Comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. They're probably glad that this word only appears five times in the New Testament, so they only have to write that big long list of words five times. It shows you that the Greek word parakletas does not really have a precise fit like a glove equivalent in the English language. Advocate. The parakletos is an advocate in the sense of someone formidable. A formidable representative coming to your side and speaking on your behalf, for instance, in a court. You might like if you are taken to court to have a high-powered, well-educated, driven, intelligent lawyer to speak for you. That would be your parakletas, your advocate. But the word falls short because of this. No matter how good the lawyer is in a court of law, you cross your fingers and hope you win. Because the lawyer may not be sufficient for your case to get a favorable outcome for you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't lose. The Holy Spirit doesn't try. The Holy Spirit does. He wins. And so the word advocate falls short. 
The word helper. Yeah, helper. What is the Lord our servant? The Holy Spirit is our servant? Yes, he helps us. But he is not our servant. And he's not, a, a, you know, a waiter. He doesn't wait on us. It's too like a servant. The Holy Spirit is more like an expert consultant who knows what he's talking about and he always hits the nail on the head. That's more than a helper. That's a doer. Comforter. How about comforter? Does it fall short too as an English equivalent to the Greek word parakletos and the and the mission and the work of the Holy Spirit, it does. Because a comforter is someone who, you know, like when your kid or your grandkid is involved in a sporting event and they get demolished in the sporting event. They try their best, they prepared as well as they could, but then they go and they're just crushed by the opponent and they're kind of bummed out at the end and they wish they did better and you go over to them and you comfort them and you pat them on the back. That's okay, you did your very best. I'll tell you that the Holy Spirit does a lot better for us than that. He does that, but he doesn't intend for us to lose. And in fact, in the King James Day... The King James is one of the translations that uses the word comforter. In King James Day, the word comfort meant something a bit different than it means today. You know, it's been over 400 years since the King James translation, and languages don't sit still. Languages are constantly changing, and the meanings of many words change. In King James Day, the word comfort meant to give strength to not just to sympathize with. None of these English words are really nailing it when it comes to the Greek word parakletos and what Jesus called the Holy Spirit here. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit, not a hired consultant or a sympathetic pat on the back. All of that, but much more. The Holy Spirit is called to our side as our defender, our enabler, in defense and offense, practically, emotionally, spiritually, to be there for us. Praise God. Verse 17 says, the spirit of truth. He's, Jesus is identifying the parakletos, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Sending the Holy Spirit to our lives is God's way of fathering us. It's the Father's way of fathering us. The Holy Spirit will be sent to us, and that will be the Father and Jesus coming to us as well. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. So instead of leaving you as orphans, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. I'll tell you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life and in you, you are an orphan. 
You are living as an orphan. You need the Father in heaven to father you And his way of fathering you is to send the Holy Spirit to you. That's why Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. If I didn't send the Holy Spirit to you, I would be leaving you as orphans. But I'm not going to do that. the, The Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to you when I ask him. More than a counselor, more than a comforter, more than an advocate, a helper. Are you following me? Praise the Lord. Exciting, isn't it? It is the Father and the Savior beside us. More than a representative of the Father, more than a representative of the Son, the Father and the Son themselves coming to us, the Godhead is one. I don't, I don't get that. Okay, well, I can't explain it. You're on your own. I'm good with that. I don't have to understand everything, do you? I received the Lord by faith. John 14, 26. This is the second time the Greek word parakletos is used. It's but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You might wonder, well, if the word advocate doesn't fit, why did they choose it? Why did the NIV choose advocate and the King James chooses comfort? Why did they choose that? Why don't they do what the Amplified did and list out six different words? Well, I'll tell you, there are English translations that don't translate the word. They write literally parakletos. Or paraclete is a, a typical English version of that Greek word, paraclete. You'll see that also. We're not going to be able to cover this morning all five uses of the parakletas, of the word. But here we see in verse 26, 1426, that we're definitely talking about the Holy Spirit. Some of our brethren in our church think Brother Brian teaches too much and preaches not enough. Well, I'll try to do more preaching this morning and less teaching. But I have to point out to you what it says here in verse 26. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Think about teaching and Reminding. They're two different things. Teaching brings to you new stuff. The new. I didn't know that. Then you're, being, then you're learning. I didn't realize that. I didn't put that together. Okay, then you're learning. That's teaching. In fact, if there is no teaching in the church, there is no Holy Spirit in the church because the Holy Spirit it comes to teach. To bring us into the new. To put together what we didn't have together before. To realize things we did not realize before. And then there is another ministry of the Holy Spirit, reminding. Reminding means you already have it and you're brought back to it. You're not learning. It's different than learning. It's different than teaching. 
It's reminding you of something that you already learned. You already have it. It's there in you someplace. It needs to be revived. It maybe has been neglected or maybe it wasn't useful until this point in time and all of a sudden it's much more useful and relevant to the moment and the situation and then you need to be reminded. I think Brother Ben uh, and he, he said this to us plainly, was reminding us of some things on Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. But how inspired by the Holy Spirit is a ministry that does not teach. I will tell you, that is not, the, that is not a Holy Spirit-founded ministry. A Holy Spirit-founded ministry will teach. It will bring to the congregation the new Now, can I hear an amen if if you knew that? Oh, a few of you knew that already. The rest of you are learning. That's okay. Reminding doesn't bring us to something new. It shores up something that we already possess. Because we're human beings and we can be neglectful. and We can let something go. The Holy Spirit will work against those losses and the Holy Spirit will also work on making gains, creating gains. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 for a little preaching. Matthew 7, 3 says, Why do you look at a speck of sawdust? in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. These are the words of Jesus, right? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You have here a person with a plank in his eye. But notice, the will of Jesus, and in time, this person with the plank in his eye can get rid of it. Hallelujah! That is great news! He says in verse 5, first take the plank out of your own eye. You can do that, praise the Lord. You are not a prisoner to that plank. That plank does not have to rule your life. That does not have to be the end of the story for you. Oh, well, I'm a plank guy. No, you can get rid of the plank in your eye. The Holy Spirit is called to our side to help us get rid of terrible distortions in our life. That's what that plank in the eye is about. Distortion. It distorts your view. It distorts your ability to see things. It blinds you. It troubles you. It makes you stumble. stumble. It makes messes. You can get rid of it, and then you'll be much more useful. You can grow. You can change. This is the Holy Spirit's work. He wants you to change. A plank in the eye. It means we're looking at something we shouldn't be looking at. That's the plank in the eye. It means we look too much at something that don't, doesn't deserve us to look so much at it. That's the plank in the eye. 
Oh, there are a lot of things. We, it, it twists and distorts our perspective. We can look too much on life on this side of the death line as if life on this side of the death line is all that's important. Jesus teaches us to live for the beyond, for a reward in heaven. He says, store not up things that rust deteriorates and moth destroys and thieves can break in and destroy. Don't look at that stuff so much. Look to eternity. If you are looking too much at the affairs of this life, the stuff that's on this side of the death line, that's a plank in your eye. You're looking too much at that. Materialism can be a plank in the eye. We can be data doubters. What I mean by a data doubter is a doubter of God, a a doubter of God's promises, a doubter of the power of faith in God. Because we've learned and been conditioned in our culture to make all our decisions on data, we make data-driven decisions. That's the only thing we trust. But I will tell you, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and his promises is going to get you to ignore data. You can have, you can have data as a plank in your eye. It can blind you to the promises of God and the possibilities of God's work. I'm not teaching you anything. I'm preaching. If you're learning from me right now, you should have come along much further in Christ by now. I should be only reminding you now. Are you a data doubter? That is, one who doubts because of data? Well, we're on this side of the death line, and, you know, I'm just making it happen. I'm just doing what I need to do. I'm just living life here because, you know, here's where I am. I'm telling you, you are expressing a plank in your eye. Your vision is distorted. You're going to mess up. Pride can be a plank in the eye. Oh, I'm good. I got this figured out. I don't need anything more. I'm, I'm good. I can do this on my own. I'm a pretty smart guy. Oh, baby, pride is a plank in the eye. But we're, we are not prisoners of the plank. Jesus says, hypocrite, take the plank out of your eye. Then you'll be able, you'll actually be able to help the guy with a speck in his eye. But until you get rid of the plank in your eye, your twisted perspective on life, your ungodly perspective on life that you think is so smart, you better get rid of that before you start nitpicking other people about how they live for Jesus Christ. I don't like the way you're living your life for Jesus Christ. Well, you get rid of your planks first and then come back to me. And I should do the same. Jesus didn't say, never criticize. Never find fault with anybody. He didn't say that. He said, don't start finding faults in little ways and nitpicking your brother while you've got this massive distortion in your world perspective, in your worldview. Your worldview is messed up by a plank. 
You and your scientific perspective. You and your data-driven perspective. You and your materialism. You and your money hunger. That's a plank in your eye. Don't nitpick me because I teach too much and preach not enough. I'm trying. I'm in here trying. Get rid of your plank, then come and talk to me and I will learn from you, I pray. I think that's what people mean by preaching is finding fault with other people. I'm supposed to find fault with you. I am not going to find fault with you meeting after meeting. I am not going to do it. I am going to encourage. I am going to console. I am going to attempt to strengthen and teach. Hallelujah. And I think that's preaching, personally. We look at things we shouldn't look at. We look too much at things we shouldn't look at. Pornography? Yeah! That's a, that could be a plank in the eye. The sensuality of this world? Yeah, that could be a plank in the eye, but so can your worldview. We're not told to never touch our brother's faults. We're told to improve ourselves so that we'll be qualified to touch our brother's faults. The Holy Spirit is called to teach us and remind us of Jesus' teaching so we can grow and get these distortions in our worldview out of our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us all things because Jesus did not teach us all things. You might say, well, wait, brother, what are you saying? That sounds like heresy to me. Didn't Jesus teach us all things? I don't know where Jesus teaches us about cell phones and movies and TV and modern technologies and modern economies and things like that and the things that are going on in the world. Well, he gives us guides, right, right. He gives us guides and we need the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truths that are appropriate for our day, our age, our culture. Amen, brothers and sisters? Uh, Paul and the apostles greatly expanded on the teaching of Jesus, teaching us more about the triune struggle of man, body, body, soul, and spirit, more about how to relate to one another within the local church. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us what to do in a culture that kills babies in the womb and it's legal. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us how to respond to sexually deviant behavior that is protected in our culture. Now, when I describe it like that, your immediate reaction might be march, fight, raise up a a stink. Well, let's seek the Holy Spirit and the, and the reminders of what Jesus taught for the right way to respond to these things in the Spirit. Amen? Sensuality is recreation in our culture. Wow. Problem. How do we respond? 
People's subjective feelings are exalted. Now when we start talking about that, we start talking about the plank in our eye because, believe me, it's very hard. Even right here in a, in a pretty diligent church, in a pretty on-fire church, a pretty spirit-led church, it's still hard for us to knock down our subjective feelings a notch or two. We want to make our decisions based on sentiment rather than the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to help us resist the prevailing decision-making techniques of our culture, which is decide by your gut. The exaltation of feeling. The exaltation of personal feeling. Now we're talking about a plank in our eye. We've got um, politics that's such a magnet in our culture. Uh, the, the Romans uh, of Jesus' time and the, the Jews and the Greeks of Jesus' time, I don't think they were so um, uh, interested in politics because it was, it was out of their reach anyway. The only thing they could do is witness to the politicians, the policymakers, It seems more within our reach, but the truth is it's really not that much more within our reach unless perhaps God calls some of you into policymaking. Now that could be. That would be pretty cool. In Jesus' day, Romans had a God of wine, freedom, and ecstasy. This was the god by the name of Bacchus. It's really the renamed god Dionysus of the Greeks, Bacchus. You may not realize, though, that in the time of Jesus, the worship of Bacchus was limited to three festival days a year. That's it. And the festival days of Bacchus were usually quite small, a very small handful of people involved in the festival, which they would do in secret. In time, the Roman law actually put restrictions on the festival of Bacchus. But given even more time, some hundreds of years the festivities of wine and orgy and excess and debauchery brought down the Roman Empire. But we're talking about hundreds of years after the New Testament was written. At the time of the New Testament, the worship of Bacchus was very boxed in and very limited. You might not have known that. Sorry for teaching you. Today, In our culture, the festival of Bacchus comes along every Friday at the end of the work week. In Syracuse, New York, it is the worship of alcohol. So what direction is the Spirit leading Living Word Church, a Spirit-filled church in Syracuse, New York, in the 21st century when it comes to the worship of the God of wine and ecstasy? Simple. The Spirit's telling me, be a dry church. 100% boycott of alcohol. Can I hear an amen? 
or a hand clap. A dry church. I don't care if somebody shows me some verses in the Bible that say drinking alcohol is okay. It's a different world. And we've got to care about our neighbors. And in care of our neighbors, a boycott of alcohol is the strongest message that we can send for Jesus Christ about that issue. We're a dry church. How many want to keep our, dry, keep, keep our church dry? I sure do. You know, we have ex-alcoholics in our church. Can you imagine me being lenient toward the drinking of alcohol when I've got some of my brethren that were set free from the drinking of alcohol? Oh, I want to be there for them. That's what the Holy Spirit will lead me to do. Amen? We can't just go with the flow. We need the Holy Spirit to show us the way and keep us together. John 15, 26. It says, when the advocate comes, the words of Jesus, that's the parakletos, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, notice, I will send to you. Previously, Jesus said, the Father will send. Now he says, I will send from the Father. Later on, he'll say, I'll send. It's just the Father and Jesus are all wrapped up in sending us the Holy Spirit together. They're all so together in this, okay? No problem. Sent to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. We see here that the Father is the source of the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus sends him. The Spirit will not allow you to forget Jesus. The Spirit is Jesus-centered. I'm a, your lead pastor. I mostly preach with to you on Sunday mornings, and uh, I, I'm fully intent to give Brother Ben his chances and to take a vacation and so on and so forth. But you need to know me. You need to know me. Get to know me. Get to know Brother Ben. Get to know the elders. You need to know us. But I have to tell you, it is much more important for you to learn about Jesus than me. I want you to know Jesus better than you know me. If you know me better than you know Jesus, I am not spirit-led. I am not spirit-led because the spirit will be focused on Jesus. The Spirit is sent to our side to be with us, to take our side. What will he say on your behalf? Like, here's where the word advocate falls down, falls apart. You know, you go to a court of law and your lawyer speaks for you. Oh, judge, my, my client is just a wonderful human being and it would be such an injustice to... Uh, penalize, uh, judge against this wonderful human being. I stand here in recognition of his character and so on. The advocate will talk about you. And I know in a court of law, a lawyer talks about other things than the client, for instance, the law and so on. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come to our side to talk about us. To stand before the Father 
to stand before the devil. The Holy Spirit doesn't stand beside us and say to the devil, this is a nice guy. He has such a sweet smile, you never saw anything like it. And he tells a great joke and brings good cheer to every situation he comes to. The Holy Spirit's going to speak up for you like that in front of the devil? Oh, no, he's not. The Holy Spirit is centered on Jesus, not you. The Holy Spirit is going to talk to the devil and say, Jesus died for this one. He shed his blood for this one. This one is set free by the blood of the Lamb. This is one of the Lamb's people. And the devil's going to go, whoa, and back off. uh, The Holy Spirit is going to speak to the Father on our behalf. And he's going to say, what a wonderful person you are. No, he's going to say, what a wonderful person Jesus is, who is your Savior. This is one of the Lord's, Father. This is one of your sons, Father. Okay, let him in. Back to chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus said, he will give you another advocate. What jumped off the page to me was the word another. Another advocate. Well, another means there was one already. Who was the first one? Who was the one that the Holy Spirit is another? Who was the first advocate? Jesus. The Holy Spirit is another of the Jesus kind. Not sent to us to save us from our sins by an atoning sacrifice. Jesus once and for all did that on the cross. Once and for all. But the Holy Spirit comes and stands beside us to make that very salvation effectual in our lives. To bring to us new life the power to overcome, new mission ability. He'll be talking to you and saving you from your troubles and your confusion. If you are in my hearing this morning and you think, confused? Save me from my confusion? I'm not confused. I have it all put together. I am highly educated and very respected in my workplace. When I talk, people listen. I'm not confused. Well, just a little reminder. Hope you take this in the spirit with which I'm saying it. A bit tongue-in-cheek, as they say. Who is it that says most vehemently, I'm not confused, if not the crazy man? He's the one that says it with the greatest vehemence and cannot be talked out of, I am not confused, when he is so bound in his confusion. I know because I've talked to a lot of crazy people. You won't know if you're confused unless the Spirit talks to you. Your confidence can be a plank in your eye. Jesus called the Holy Spirit another parakletas. 
Let me show you, point out to you the fifth use of parakletos. It's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have an advocate. The word advocate is the fifth use of the Greek word parakletos. The same word that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit that he would send to us from the Father. Here Jesus himself is called by that title. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our parakletos with the Father. We have a parakletos there with the Father. But we also have one of the same kind here with us in heaven. There is the Son in heaven, the worthy one, to take the scroll out of the hand of the one who holds it, the one on his throne. But we have received the Holy Spirit from the Father and that worthy one. Jesus is standing for us Saving us, defending us, speaking for us, praying for us there. The Holy Spirit is standing with us, in us, defending us, inspiring us, empowering us here. What a mistake it is to think that we can handle our own affairs. We've already messed up. If we've taken too firm of a grip on our own affairs. Brothers and sisters, I tell you from the bottom of my heart, you do not have the golden touch. You may be praised and patted on the back and told by your colleagues that you have the golden touch. I will tell you, you do not. You do not because no sinner has the golden touch. You may have some Solomon-like wisdom by which to build great gardens and great institutions. But we don't even know if Solomon made it to glory when he crossed the death line. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for him. Your touch doesn't create gold. Your touch creates vapor. It evaporates. In the great eternal picture, it burns up like hay and wood and stubble. Jesus has the golden touch, and he can turn your life into gold. That when the fire is put to it, it will be refined, not destroyed. It will be made better rather than go up in smoke. Am I telling you the truth? Your touch creates vapor. Your touch creates wind. Your touch creates air. Maybe you think I should be more respectful. I'm telling you, I respect this book. That's what I respect. I respect the Son of God. That's what I respect. I have called to respect heaven and God, not to respect man, not to, be, not to have favor for man. Your great favor for man and the things of man are a plank in your eye. 
Take the plank out of your eye rather than pile up petty criticisms of the house of God and the men of God. Don't pile up petty criticisms and stand back. Are you hungry for the Spirit? Are you hungry for his work in your life? Do you understand your need for the Spirit? Am I preaching or am am I teaching? You decide, I don't know and I don't care. I'm saying what I have to say. I have enough. I have enough. I'm satisfied. I got to figure it out. I'm satisfied. I'm telling you, don't say that. Don't ever say that. That's what they said to him at the Laodicean church while Jesus was on the outside knocking to get in. He said, look, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He said, you don't even know. You're blind, you're naked, you're poor. You don't even know. You have such a plank in your eye, you don't even know what you look like in the mirror. I'm telling you, you're needy. If you need salvation this morning, you get saved this morning. We're going to have an opportunity right now. Could we have the singers come up? We're going to have an opportunity for you to get right with God right now, right this morning. You can get right with God and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and the Holy Spirit to come into your life. But listen, if you if you know that you've been too self-satisfied, been a bit prideful, been a bit proud, you can, you can get that fixed this morning too. Hallelujah. Let's have a time of prayer this morning in the house of God. Let's let the house of God be the full thing, be the full house of God this morning with every part and every piece the praise, the worship, the word, and, and repentance. If you're not sure if you're saved and right with God, if you think you might have gotten a plank in your eye so that you're all... Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Brother Brian. I think my worldview is all messed up. I think I've really retracted from the faith. You should be at every church meeting you possibly can come to. You should be at every home fellowship you possibly can come to. You should be at every prayer session in your, in your home, in your office, in front of your bed, in front of your chair, whatever place you pray, as often as you can. You should be in prayer. You should be as filled with the Spirit as you possibly can be filled. You don't have enough. You think you have enough? You don't have enough. It's time to pray. Please respond. Stay where you are and pray. I know some of you, it'd be a huge thing for you to get out of your seat and come up front. It'd be really big. I don't know where you got that perspective on going up front, but I don't have it. I don't have it. I say whatever it takes, I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for God. I want Him. I want him. I want the Spirit. I want more, not less. I can't get enough. I'll do whatever it takes. I can't get enough of the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord, take the plank out of my eye. Help me.